Hello, all you cosmic travelers and wanderers. This is Darlene Vandegrift and K. Melissa Waterman, inviting you to join us today in our episode of Expansion from Within, Exploring Multidimensionality. Let me introduce you to my friend and dear colleague, Darlene Vandegrift. She is a lifetime experiencer, a medical intuitive, and a multidimensional mediator for over 35 years. She's also an author, an artist, a teacher, and a mentor for spiritually invested people. And Kay Melissa Waterman is my friend and colleague, and she's an intuitive mentor, a spiritual teacher. She also works with energy on many levels. In the past, Melissa has worked with Dr. Joe Dispenza on his research team. Join us on our journey of meeting multidimensional beings, exploring what it means to be human, and expanding our spiritual evolution. Today we've got to cover a few things. The first one is a listener's question from June 13th. I believe it was asked after episode 10, which was on raising our vibration. Mm-hmm. Here's our question. In that episode, the person says, you mentioned that not everyone is a channel. Can you talk more about what is the difference between being intuitive versus being a channel? not everyone chooses to be a channel it's a very different way intuition comes from our gut feeling and everyone has intuition whether we utilize it or not so it's coming from a part of ourselves that is not brain activated it's more of our body reading something that is in our field or reading someone else or in some way adjusting ourselves to what the information that's coming in that's invisible that's coming in through an energy in trusting our gut feeling for some people they get it very kinesthetic you know they'll get a drop in their stomach when they're around somebody that might have an agenda or might be dealing with something if you're empathic and you pick up something that way it's more of a felt sense in the body as a gut feeling uh, intuition and then Channeling is something different where you're opening yourself up to allow another, sometimes part of yourself on a multidimensional level, bringing in a part of yourself to channel. And if you look at Abraham Hicks, when she was originally bringing in Abraham, she would sit in a chair, eyes closed, and she would open the field and she would bring that energy in. And she talked actually different. So it's bringing some form of an energy. People sometimes say you bring in an entity, but it's bringing something in your body where you step back and that energy is there. That being is there in talking. Usually sounds very different than the person, has a different dialect. They bring in the information by being present in your body. That's what channeling is. At least that's what the way old channeling is. There's a big difference. One is you personally just getting information. The other is bringing information into you that is not yours. I just want to add to that. When I'm having an intuitive moment, sometimes words come mm-hmm. and or pictures come. Mm-hmm. It's not just a gut feeling. It's not just my body feeling, my body sensation. There are some thoughts or pictures, but it's clear they've just appeared. When it first started to happen to me, the very first time was a person who was having a very, she was very upset with a roommate. I kept getting the image of a tea party and this was an adult woman. And I was not thinking I was intuitive. I wasn't 
trying to be intuitive, but the picture kept coming of, the, of a tea party. So I said to her, what do you think about a tea party? Which was a big jump for me to trust that because it seemed pretty absurd to ask an adult woman about a tea party. And she fell out. She was just like, oh my God, that's exactly what I need to do. I always have a tea party. We'll have a tea party and that will fix it. And I just was like, what just happened? Right. Like, and that was really a very big moment for me to trust myself. It seems like for some people, intuition might come with a little more information than just a body sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can bring it in from all your channels, right? Some people will get a taste in their mouth, which I don't usually get. Checking that out or asking yourself, what is what is that about? For me, intuition is always a surprise. Right. It's always like, wow, where did that come from? And it was accurate. And, right. You know, for that person or whatever was going on in the situation. It's keeping that channel open, actually, the channel of intuition so that you're more available for synchronicity to come in. You're more available for that information to be presented. You're aligned with it in knowing that there's something bigger out there that we are receiving. It's just how are we receiving it and what is it telling us? I'm reminded of a couple of things. One, I want to clarify channeling which is really allowing another being or another group of beings to come through and say some stuff and you're consciously allowing yes as the host of that channel you're allowing that to happen but that's different than opening a channel in yourself opening a channel in yourself is saying yes i trust the tea party is real and now i'm going to keep saying yes Yes. And the more I actually have a thought and voice it and trust it, the more it's like a two-way street, the more it comes the right. more available. I also want to ask about the difference, you know, like if there's the Claire's, right? Claire sentient, Claire audience, clairvoyant, we, which we've talked about in earlier episodes. I'm not wanting to recreate that, but they're all a form of intuition, aren't they? Yes. The intuition seems like a very powerful and very specific to a person like the you know one person might be clairaudient but not be clairvoyant you have one clair you have them all right lots of people can sense other people's emotions mm -hmm. um, and think they're theirs for years and then figure out they're not the other thing i wanted to ask about this i want a little more information on how our guides work versus our intuition do our spirit guides provide intuition are they where our intuition comes from? Our guides are just guides that are hanging out. I mean, the way I look at my guides is they're here, they're with me. And if I ask for help, I might get something specific from them. But most of the time, it's pretty, it's pretty much like silent support. It's like they're holding space for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they hold space. They provide a structure on your energy field, even if you're not connected to it in some way where you tangibly feel it, they hold that, that you're really not alone. So you always feel that, or not feel, but you can trust the fact that you have guidance around you that hold that. They don't interfere, but if you ask, that's the big thing, is asking for something and not limiting to, I need this particular thing today or tomorrow. It's more or less, I'd like to feel this, or I like 
something to clear in whatever way that they can provide assistance for that. They don't, in my understanding of it, they don't interfere with, they don't plug things in for us to get intuition. That's really up to us in our acknowledgement that we even have it in our awakening process. You know, you open up to your intuition and you allow it. Then synchronicity comes in and the, the fact of how to see the field and all of that. The empath piece really starts to percolate, you know, and you become more involved in the oneness of what the universe is about. Right. I, I think guidance, guidance is there as a protection at times. Like I've experienced that with them being there if... I had a physical issue that was detrimental. They were right there and I could sense and feel them and see them. And then they didn't have to be there anymore. Like they come in like, like okay, we got you. It's more about that kind of feeling. Okay, we got you. Nothing like, okay, we got you and we're going to take you somewhere. Okay, we have you and we're going to tell you what to do. But it's more about, well, you're not alone. We are right here. Can you talk about the difference between intuition or channeling and getting a download? Downloads, I mean, I've had people that say, I get a download. Oh, I had a download last night or whatever, but they can't tell you what it is because sometimes downloads, maybe more times than not, downloads are particles of information or they're symbols or they're codes. Mm -hmm. There's some way that you know that something happened, but you don't know what it is. I think that downloads can come that way. Other times they're a flash of information and it, you really need to pay attention to what that is. Like what can you retain about whatever that download is? Either way, it's changing some kind of frequency within us, whether we are totally aware of what it is or not. You may walk away from a download saying, well, you know, I feel different for the next couple of days. And then there'll be an integration process and then you don't feel so different because you integrated with it, right? I believe that downloads, when they're coming from a guidance system, when they're coming from a higher place of, of beingness, that it does change our vibrational level. It changes our frequency level for whatever reason, something that we're doing that we need it or we asked for it or, you know, it's the time in our life that, that we're gifted it. Great. Can you talk about how you are a mediator and versus being a channel, what the difference between that is for you? I do not channel, I mediate. The difference for me is I did channel for a period of like five years and um, wasn't so thrilled with the fact of how my body responded to channeling. When I asked to not be that, um, they offer the, the mediation place. So what that is for me is that I go to a place where I see, because I'm very visual. So I see and I hear and I feel what they're saying or what their message is or how they would look in the visual. They're showing me pictures as well as giving me information. So as that mediator, then I bring that in, but my eyes aren't closed. They're not in, you know, they're not accessing me through my body. It's more about that in between. If you think of a figure eight, I'm the, I'm the place in between. I'm where the cross section is. So I bring in the information and let it out and bring it in and let it out. And they'll tell me if I got it wrong. Thanks for that. That was a great answer. 
So let's talk to Kashmir today. I'm very excited. What I know about Kashmir already is that she is a high priestess from being in our sage group and our core group. I've learned a little bit about her already, but I'm so I'm interested to talk to her. You brought her in in episode three as well, talking yeah. about her and how you met back in episode three. Yeah. I don't know if I talked about how I was called Horace. No. That comes up to be the first thing that happened with her is that I was in a meditation and I was speaking to a few beings that was shortly after my mother passed. When I was coming out of the meditation, they said, goodbye, Horace. And I had no idea what that was, but that wasn't my name. I looked it up online and saw, you know, oh yeah, yeah, that that's familiar. That's what that was about. It was Egyptian time. It's, you know, Isis and Osiris and how Horus came to be. I went down that road for a while, but what happened in that place is it brought Kashmir in. And she wasn't a high priestess at that time. As as she came in, she was being trained in both her linear of being a high priestess for Isis and a priest for Horus, which I didn't know at that time, but she was being trained. So she was more like 16 years old than how I would ever see her is, you know, in a light blue kind of shifty thing with a belt around her. She didn't have a whole lot to say. She would be more in the background of when the council was meeting she would sit there and, you know, it was a training process for her. So she wasn't really owning who she was. So that's how I started meeting her. And about two or three years into after meeting her, she became more of the high priestess. It was a whole celebration for that. There was her brick coming forward into not just the timeline that she was bringing forward, because that's her purpose in the council is there's a significant timeline that she brings forward in Egypt. Because of that, she was invited into the council. That's great. Can you ask her to tell us about herself and her position in the council? So she's in a different position now. So this probably is going to be new information for me. Wow. She's in a different position now. It is not like the high priestess is how she was invited in, but they don't consider her a high priestess. They consider her more of an officiate of the Egyptian lineage and bringing in timelines from that time of that's significant to us in this lifetime. She's showing me the painting that she has a high priestess. I think it's opal, might be something else. There's gems on the top, like she shelved that. So now it's like that is shelved. She's not looking at herself as a high priestess. That was another lifetime necessarily for her on the council. She is more of a trainer. She brings in the information. She holds the information about Egypt and the ancient timelines that existed there. She's utilized that way in where she's needed with not only within the council, but the people that I may work with or that work with her to bring in their own timelines that she helps them to understand. She also is very steeped in the divine masculine and the divine feminine in bringing that forward in this lifetime to balance it. When you say this lifetime, you mean this lifetime, our this lifetime? Our this lifetime, yes. Thank you. 
<laughs> the timelines can get confusing for me. Yes, they can be intertwined. I'm interested in her timeline. The question that I have written down is what timeline is she from? But she's currently in this timeline. Well, we exist in all of them, right? So the one that she originally showed me that was important is Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. Okay, so it's H-A-T-S-H-E-P-S-U-T. Hatshepsut. She existed, I think it was back in the 13, it might have been the 1400s BC. It was a time period where she was one of a few pharaohs or were considered kings in that lifetime. She brought a lot of richness to Egypt. She brought commerce. She would, you know, take ships out and bring in Indian, India stuff, spices. There was a lot going on in Egypt in the, I think it was 20 year reign that she was there of bringing the consciousness up of having a female leader. But the interesting thing about her is that she dressed like a man. So she would wear a beard. She would wear men's clothing, whether that was to show more of an empowerment of who she was or to neutralize the masculine feminine, since she was a female and acting as, as a male, did it neutralize that, right? Because this is a time period where a lot was going on in Egypt in a good way. There was no wars from what I can understand from, from that timeline. So she held a peaceful community, a peaceful kingdom in there and expanded them. But what happened with that was not, the reason why this timeline is so important is that in this timeline, when she passed, it was taken over, I believe it was by her godson. It was by some family member as a male and he cut her out of everything. She didn't even get buried in her tomb that she created for herself. He buried her much further south. Anything that she did, it was it was taken out of the history books. It, it wasn't until, I believe, the late 1800s, maybe even in 1900s, when they discovered her and found out what her life was about. In, in karmic issue, when you think of somebody that cut somebody out as important as that in a history book, that nobody really knew about her. And then him cutting her out actually made her more important. Because now we're interested in that. You know, here's a here's a female leader. What did she do? Why did she dress as a male? Was there gender issues back then? Was all of that something that we're very much connected to now in bringing the balance of the masculine and feminine forward? So that is her time period. It's important in our history so that we can have a connection to that. Like, is there anything right. else she can say about why it's important for us to know about her timeline? It's the separation of more of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Shortly after her death, I would say shortly after several hundred years after her death, there was more of a malevolence that came in because in Egypt at that time, women were treated equal. They had, if you had the money, if you had the resources, you could be a physician, you could be a scientist, you could be an architect, you could, there wasn't any withholding or diminishing of the feminine back then. But hundreds of years later, there was. 
that is the last one of the last times of holding that divine masculine and feminine together through the gods and goddesses, but also inviting it, evoking it in each one of us, which is really our legacy. In our original creation, it's holding that balance of the divine masculine and feminine. What does that mean to us in this time period? We're so far removed from it. What does it mean to be holding the divine feminine as well as holding the divine masculine? What are the females doing this lifetime in bringing forward the divine masculine with men, not just within ourselves? Like, how do you bring that in so that they can separate from the malevolence that has been our history for thousands of years? You know, how do we need to see men? It's about making them accountable, but it's also how do we need to see them? And how do we train them as we train them? How do we train our sons to be more balanced, to have a heart and mind in our decision making? How do we as mothers do that? It is really up to us for the most part as women to bring that forward. I look at the whole gender thing and everything. And what, what she's saying is that it's a way that the, and she's saying it as a universe, it's a way of a universe of trying to balance us in our neutrality of genders versus being gay or lesbian or like what is happening with our genders that is a response from the universe in some way to neutralize us to extract the malevolence from us in some way to offer us a possibility of of becoming more balanced right more accepting more loving more understanding and balanced is there anything that you can share about healing old timelines that she can share about healing old timelines? What she would say is there's a significance in healing old timelines in the effect that it has on us today in her own personal experience in what she has gone through that she now realizes has affected many lifetimes after that for herself, mm -hmm. that she sees those choices back then of how karmically or even generationally has come back over and over again to be healed. Her healing and coming into the council was to heal those significant timelines for her and even that timeline for her, what happened to her as a high priestess or even before she became a high priestess. So it's that whole, it was a seven year process for her in becoming a high priestess that was significant choices that she made that affected many timelines in the future. She would say to us that based on her experience that us going back and finding where our blockages are, where our karmic debts are, uh, how we are inviting people into our lives now that have might been a hindrance or an issue. It's where the Ho'opono can come in to clear, unite, resonate in a different way. So we're more whole-souled here and we don't have the garbage or the fragmentation that is in our history. What just came to me in this very moment is the idea that the whole ponopono is thank you, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That to really 
utilize that sentence with someone that you're having some anger with mm-hmm. or some resentment toward to move into the ability to sense the trueness of those words. If that's happening, the timeline has to dissolve. <laughs> yeah. It can't exist in that compassionate, forgiving, loving space. It just can't. Right. It just hit me how powerful that is. Mm-hmm. It's accountability, too. It is being coming forward in this time period that we're living. It is about hopefully offering us to be accountable. Disclosure in all levels and all dimensions of what is coming through and the life that we are living is about accountable. And in some ways, I agree completely about the accountability. It's essential. And it also, I have to have a broader view. If I stay focused on what the person did and how they wronged me and the injustice and how it's all about them being bad and I've been done wrong, and I can't get to my soul's journey or to the purpose of my life or to the purpose of their life or what lesson might come from this rub, Mm -hmm. then I'm just stuck in it. I'm stuck in the third dimensional one tiny layer of a timeline instead of being able to come out and have a broader view and see let it resolve and just see how it's part of a a flow of a giant river rather than one tiny log in the river she's bringing in that the ho'opono is an interdimensional it is it functions on the multi-dimensional levels i love it So that when you do that with somebody and you clear them, you're not just clearing in that timeline with them. You may be affecting other timelines that you might have had a similar experience either with them or with someone else, but within you with the same kind of situation. That rub might be the same kind of situation that you had in six lifetimes with various different people. But if you can do it with one, it does affect the the others. Sure. Is there anything that you can share? meaning you, meaning Kashmir, about equality? Well, she would say that we don't really remember equality in our history. It's been denied us early on about equality. There's been different positions. There's been males believing in some way that they're the higher species. It's been validated to them through centuries, through millennia of time that, and there's truth to some of that. They are stronger muscular, a lot of them, they can be. So there's differences, but there's not, there was never supposed to be an inequality basis of one above the other. It was a balancing act and, and a shared balancing act, which is another thing that she's saying in this time period that we're living with, with more men being at home, taking care of children, that that in thousands of years ago was that the men were the hunters and the women were the housekeepers. So even that in some way is trying to bring us into a different level of equality, but we were originally created as equal. There wasn't Religion brought in some way of the inequality as well as other things. It's that place of bringing that to a level of doesn't matter if you're a male or female, however your gender is or whatever, you are equal to everyone else. There's no hierarchy. Right. 
and that it existed with the divine masculine and feminine. So it's a shared responsibility. You know, if something was to happen in the male, if you're a male and a female together, if something was to happen where the male was taken leave in some way, the, male, the female would pick it up. Not with saying, oh, I'm burdened by the fact that you can't do this and there's judgment. It's just, it was this flow of, yeah, I pick it up. And if the female can't do it, the male picked it up. It's that figure eight. They're very, very steeped in that give and take of that figure eight of the infinity symbol of how it works within all of us, how it works with how we work with the field and how we work within ourselves. It's that blending. It's a blendedness of equality in lots of ways. It strikes me that if there was something a woman couldn't do because she didn't have, you know, the testosterone that builds the kind of muscles, like she couldn't move a thing or build a building, there were other community members that would come in, that there was a sense of community and equality in a community mm -hmm. that would take care of each other, like in appropriate ways. Like, yeah, it just seems like now community is relatively lost it's it's difficult to find certainly in a town or a village to find the kind of community that once was i believe once was quite active and people helping other people build buildings and yeah i mean it exists in some places i think you know in the indigenous i believe they still have that but not to the level that i believe that it has been in the past she's saying that it's been severely compromised in ego, in power struggles, advancement. It's like if somebody needed help now, there might be judgment about that person. Why can't they do that? Oh, are they lazy? Which didn't it necessarily exist in the earlier times. It was just, there's a need, let's fill it. Right. I remember learning about early Native Americans that if, if a warrior or a hunter became tired, just was exhausted, he could spend as many years as he needed to being what they called a cinder biter and just tending the fire. Mm -hmm. it's, I believe this was Iroquois. I could be wrong, but I, I believe it's, you know, the same natives that were residing in this particular land where we live in the Northeast. And I just loved it. I love the idea that you don't have to have a role and keep the role and do the role until you die or until you drop. You mm -hmm. could take a break. You could just rest. You could say, I'm I'm exhausted, and then tend fire for a year or two or more. Mm -hmm. You know, not not a 10-minute break, not a week, you know, right. not the traditional five days for the loss of a of a loved one, but just like however long you need. Yeah. That's the kind of community that we I think we've we don't have much of. Well, it's honoring the person in whatever their evolution is, whatever their needs are in the moment. And trusting them to yes. know what's best for them, right. not saying here's an imposed length of time you get to have, this is all you need, is this this short time. Well, that's the authority figures, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's some fear based in it. Well, you only get this much time because we need to get all this other stuff done and it's not going to happen if we don't, you know, like there's some fear underlying things these days that is very disturbing. It ends up dividing us and keeping us from healing our timelines and being equal somebody's in charge and says what what right. has can or cannot happen that's not equal no and when you know she's saying that in this timeline where male and female were more equal 
And then males tend to rise above that in denying them their rights. It led into that full exposure of the malevolence and holding the, the women down in some way because of the inequality issues. But it's also a fear level originally of the, the males feeling that the women had something more. This is something that I learned this, well, I've no, known it, but it was given back to me this week is in our DNA, the women have two chromosomes. They have two X's where the men have Y, one. They have one Y to women's two X's because the women hold much more genetic patterns of the DNA than the men do. They bring it forward. You know, they are the creators. They are the ones that bring life forward. And in some way, somewhere along the line, that was considered, you know, unsavory to the masculine. So they had to diminish it. They had to bring it under control. You know, they had to do something else with it. Her position, she's saying in the council, is to recognize that with help others to recognize that within themselves, to clear their timelines of where this break in continuity existed. And she doesn't just work by herself with that. So the, the council in itself, there feels like there's five or six of them that work on a team effort to do that specifically around the masculine and feminine as clients either that I work with or in the groups that I, that I work with to bring that forward. I have one last question, and it is, how should we perceive the timeline we are in now? Hmm. How should we look at our current timeline? Well, she's going to cover the whole thing. So you can look at it as tumultuous. You can look at it as chaotic. You can look at it as devastating. You can look at it as, you know, um, unprecedented. All of that's true. That's one side of the equation. The middle part of that equation is that out of chaos comes more, comes a possibility to create. And so the other side of that equation and moving forward is this is our opportunity. This is our moment. This is not just our moment as humanity, but it's our moment as a multidimensional being to step forward, to be present, to claim who we are, to not be judgmental, to stay neutral, to bring in the masculine as well as the feminine, to bring in more community, to know what has been in this chaotic node, in this tumultuous place, to bring it into more harmony, to bring it into unison. That understanding of this timeline is not with the belief that it will be all unified. We always will have choice, but what do we do with those choices? How do we honor each other? How do we accept that whatever we do here is going to affect not only generations in the future, it affects everybody on the planet because we can't get out of that, that oneness node. That we're not designed to get out of that oneness node. It's just that we don't believe it, right? Most of us don't believe it. So this time period, we're to look at it as an exhilaration, a speeding up of who we can be and owning who we have been, bringing in more of the richness of what the universe offers us, 
whether that's through meditation, visualizations, you know, we have, she's saying we have much more available to us in this timeline than we ever have. We just the push of a button to find out something more that will help us individually and then collectively. We have so much going on in this creative, chaotic place that if we tap into it, if we bring it forward, if we accept it and acknowledge it, if we commit to it, you know, there's where the seven seeds come in, right? We accept and allow and, and commit to it. Then we can start to trust ourselves and tell our truth and become co-creative. And in all of that, when you do all of those things, then you're more living in your integrity. And if you're living in your integrity, the shift happens. I mean, it's an automatic, you know, it's like the more focus there is on this positive outcome of what is possible for humanity, the more focus on that. It's like that exists on another dimension. Like we live in one dimension here in this particular timeline because we believe in a certain way that life is and has always been to us. This is the way it functions. This is what has always worked. Well, now it's not. And if we focus on the right underneath this paradigm that we are living in, right underneath is another dimension. When we focus on that, when we put intention in that, and when we revitalize that, when we put all the positive of the hopes and the dreams and the reality of what we can create, then that comes up to the surface and the other one moves away. It's, it's a balancing act. We have a lot of energy towards this one because many more millions of people believe in what we're living in. But if we start to really push that energy into something more positive that is reality-based, it's not foo-foo, it's, it's reality-based. If we put it into that, it will rise to the surface and the other one becomes less than. Does that make sense? Sure, it does. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, so she's saying our focus is, our intention is, in what do we want to create? Not only for ourselves, how do we heal ourselves? How do we heal others? How do we look at others? What is our perception of life moving forward? Are we stuck in, oh my goodness, that everything's gonna collapse and my house is gonna be taken away? And do we focus on that or do we focus on something that is more productive? Right. I'm with you. I think it's imperative mm -hmm. to focus on what's going right, what we're grateful for, what the good possibilities are to take the highest possible view, including, you know, that we don't really know exactly what the, when you clean out a closet, everything in the room looks disastrous, but it's necessary to get the closet organized. And we might be judging this time like it's horrific when in fact something else is coming into order. Yes. So just keep that higher view seems you know, like good hard work and necessary, really. Important. And it's not just going to be given to us. I mean, she has the experience of thousands of years of watching that it's not just given to us. It We have to ask for it. We have to work for it. We have to be present to achieve it. Right. Because it's all about our sovereignty and our authority as well, right? How to bring that into play in everything that we do which I think is happening. It's just that it's so subtle and we're not hearing about it as much. We're not really grasping the dynamics of it's global. It is global. Like there is no 
United States has it this way and, and another country has it that way. It is global of how not just the environment, but how we're all feeling and what's happening in our economic system, our medical systems. You know, it's all coming to a place of, we could say collapse, but it's all coming to a place of reinventing. Yeah. Right. Something changing. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I have today. Is there anything else she would like us to know? Well, she would say that in her knowing and in the council knowing that they have a few future beings that are on the council and that they know that the planet itself survives. So she would say that know that your planet survives. Humanity has made its own decisions, just like it always has. And that somewhere along the line, there is a rising of consciousness that the planet is taken more into consideration, which actually helps protect the lineage. Mm -hmm. Humanity survives, is what she would say. I'm glad to hear that now from two members of the council. Was it Kahuna that said we have a smattering of people in the future? Probably, yes. I mean, we are overcrowded now, but not really. You know, the planet really isn't spread. I mean, if everything was the way that it could be, we'd have much more land available, right? Yeah. All right. Well, that's all that I have for today. Thank you very much. It's always very, very interesting to talk with the multidimensionals. Yes, it was a pleasure being here and I look forward to what's next. All right. See you soon. Thank you.